Uh, in the Free Methodist Church, we have a, uh, a program that we do yearly called Freedom Sunday, and you, you're, you're kicking it off this year. Uh, it's, it's officially September 24, but I'm doing six Freedom Sundays in a row in different, different locations. And over the last seven years, we've raised more than $800,000 and launched 17 different Freedom Projects. And we've done it in partnership with, uh, with International Child Care Ministries, Free Methodist World Missions, a, a wide variety of partners. So um, today, we're celebrating Freedom Sunday here in Santa Barbara. And you'll have an opportunity that if you want to give, you can give to Freedom Sunday. Uh, there's, a, there's a bulletin insert in your bulletin, and you can always uh, connect with me or with uh, Linda Adams, ICCM. There's a, there's a variety of different ways that we can, uh, you, can, you can be involved. Well, today we're, we're looking at the, the issue of modern-day slavery, but I want you to know right at the very beginning that while the subject is despairing, it's a, it's a message of hope. There is hope because we serve God who created the beauty all around us. We celebrate it. We, 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 we're on mission with Jesus who died and rose again. So there's no room for despair. And it's good that we're having this conversation within the context of worship, that we've come into this place as free people to unite together, to worship God, to pray, to learn, and then to be sent out through these doors on mission with God. So we're having this conversation within the context of worship. That's important for us to remember as we go forward. We're going to look at some of the reality of modern-day slavery today, and then we're going to look at some, some scriptures, some theology, and then some application points. I really need about five hours, so I know I don't have that time. Now, the next service, we can just do it. We can go. We can go. Uh, so if you want to come back to the next service, it'll be five hours long. Um, so this is either a continuing conversation that you've been having, or it's the beginning of a conversation. In our world today, there are anywhere between 21 and 46 million slaves. These are real slaves. They're not making a dollar a day or two dollars a day. They're held by force. They're unable to walk away. They're doing things that they don't want to do. They're modern-day slaves. And it is a $150 billion a year business or more. And it's not just about sex trafficking. It's also about labor trafficking. So the products that we buy, the products that we use... The choices we make, the values we have when it comes to consumerism really impacts the world. And, and there's an opportunity for people to make money off of the injustice of human trafficking. I took this picture of this little boy in Cambodia. I was walking down the street, and he was part of a construction crew. Little boys do not belong on construction crews. They should be riding their bikes, playing games, reading books, going to school. But... Here is an example of somebody who's caught up in the injustice of modern-day slavery. And it's not just an international problem. It's also a problem in the, United, in, in the U.S. There are estimated to be uh, 300,000 domestic minor sex trafficking victims in the United States. So 300,000 domestic, meaning they're U.S. citizens, minors, meaning they're under the age of 18 and they're involved in sexual exploitation. That's a big number. But when you add to the number of any that are over the age of 18 and not involved in sex slavery but in labor slavery, we're talking about a vast sum of people in the United States that are involved in modern-day slavery. We were taught in high school that slavery was abolished. It was not. 
It was made illegal. There's a difference. Slavery is thriving in our society. It's thriving in the dark corners of our society. It's right here in Santa Barbara County. According to the Polaris Project, when a runaway hits the streets, we have about 48 hours to, to, to help them before they're approached by a human trafficker. So if you've got a broken family in Santa Barbara and that young person runs away to L.A. or San Francisco, they're approached by a human trafficker within 48 hours. Unless you live where I live, in Seattle, where they're approached within 45 minutes. Uh, There's just a a thriving youth population in Seattle. And um, they're, they're incredibly vulnerable. And there are traffickers looking to exploit these people. This is an epic global problem. But we have to ask ourselves, what creates vulnerability? Well, racism does, and poverty does, and gender inequality, and natural disasters. I mean, we were just talking and praying about the earthquake in Mexico and, and these hurricanes. What, what has happened is it's the, the rich are able to flee and the poor cannot, and everything is destroyed. And then we've got this whole other group of vulnerable people who then can be exploited. So we have, to, we have to back off and ask, well, not just about human trafficking, but what creates vulnerability to begin with? That's a really important question. And then another important question is, is this a problem or is it a symptom? Because depending on our answer, depends, we'll determine what we do. Just like when you go to the doctor and you've been in an accident and you can't walk and you're in a lot of pain, the doctor does not just want to alleviate your pain. The doctor wants you to be able to walk again and also not have pain. The pain is a symptom of something that's internally wrong. Are you with me? The doctor does not just want you to to not have pain. The doctor wants you to be fully restored and healed and be able to function normally again. So asking this question, is it a symptom or is it a problem, will really help us to determine what we should do. Why are Filipino children sleeping on the streets in 95-degree weather in Manila at 3 o'clock in the afternoon? Why is that happening? What is, the, what is the real problem behind that? We've come to believe that human trafficking is really a symptom, and it's about broken relationships. It's about brokenness between men and women, brokenness within families, brokenness between races, Brokenness in a wide variety of ways. And then that brokenness infects the whole community. So not only are relationships broken individually, but a whole community becomes broken. And then systems are put in place to reinforce the brokenness. We can have a whole other conversation about racial brokenness in the United States and how the systems have grown up over these last 150 years to reinforce the racism. So the systems could... Be, you know, are put in place, and then a whole entire culture becomes broken. So it just gets worse and worse and worse. So it's really about brokenness, not just about human trafficking. It's really about brokenness, not just racism. Let me give you an illustration of this. In Manila, about 21% of the population lives, lives in, in deep, deep poverty. And there are... Uh, estimated to be 401,000 slaves in the Philippines. And what's happened in Manila, the number one problem in Manila is the trafficking of children to fuel cyber sex. So pornography, online pornography. 
And, and what's happened is we've got all these street children all over Manila, and they're being scooped up and used in cyber sex. But not only that, but families have come to realize they can actually make money and survive by using their own children in cyber sex. And it's becoming culturally accepted for families to do that. Now, we partnered with World Hope International and International Justice Mission and some others to do a study of what's going on in Manila. And one of the things that we learned was that the cost is low and the demand is high for these sex shows that are online. And they may cost between 5 and $100 each, which is a small cost for a Western client, but a big profit for Filipinos where the cost of living is fairly inexpensive. At any one time, the U.N. and FBI suspect that as many as 750,000 people are online in search of child cyber sex. So right now, while we're meeting, there are three-quarter of a million people online searching for cyber sex, and they're finding it in Manila. And if we shut it down in Manila, it'll just move to Indonesia. And if we shut it down in Indonesia, it'll just move to Cambodia. Because, again... That is a symptom of an underlying problem that these children are being exploited and also of our values where we want to do this online. Men, when we're indulging in pornography, we're contributing to the exploitation of others. And so, yes, we need to to, to stop it, but we have to also go back and do some deep repair of the communities, some deep repair of the relationships. So the strategy that we've come up with is that we must both serve with compassion at the margins and work to bring hope and healing to broken communities. We have to do both. We can't just address injustice. We can't just rescue slaves. We have to actually go back in to these relationships and these communities and heal the communities. We have to bring hope and healing back into these broken communities. Now, let's turn to Scripture and some theology. You know, the longest story in our Bible is uh, the Exodus. It begins with Joseph, who's beat up by his brothers and sold into slavery, and eventually all of his people become slaves in the land of Egypt. And then God uses Moses to free them. And then they go on this long journey where they become the people of the king. And then they enter the promised land. And I would uh, challenge us to think of the Exodus as a model for justice alongside the Good Samaritan model. We, we, we often will, will take the Good Samaritan model as the model. There's something broken. There's something wrong. There's somebody in need. Let's help them. But then let's move on. And I think the Exodus gives us a model of how God takes us who are broken, forms us, shapes us, sends us on a journey, and then we are transformed on this journey and we invite others, and it's a journey towards shalom. It's a journey towards hope and healing. This is really, I think, the model that we should be adopting, the model of the Exodus. And one of the things that we've learned about this model of the Exodus is that Divine compassion leads to divine action. It's not just divine compassion. It's not just divine action, but it's both together. And God calls us to have divine compassion upon everyone, and then that leads us to divine action. 
The main point of all of this is community. God created a community that would be on mission with him, that would be his, that he would be the king and they would be their people. And this is reinforced in the scriptures that follow. For example, the imagery in in, in some scripture is that God is in heaven on his throne and his feet are on the earth. And particularly, his feet are on the Ark of the Covenant, which holds the tablets of the covenant of the king and the people. And in between where he sits, so he's sitting and his feet are on the Ark of the Covenant, and there are two cherubim on either side, and they're facing inward. And Rabbi Jonathan Sachs says that these cherubim are face to face. And God's presence is there when we are face to face. Not face to computer, not face to phone, but we're face to face. And God is in the presence. The presence of God is when we are together face to face. We've got to be a community. We've got to be a people of the king. Have you ever wondered why we worship one day of the week? Scripture in Exodus talks about God works six days, and on the seventh day he rested, and so you should rest. But in Deuteronomy, there's a different twist to this. And in Deuteronomy, the author says, Remember, you were slaves in Egypt. And, and God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. We're able to meet in here today without any fear of being arrested and taken into the jungle and shot. We're able to sit here relaxing because we're not slaves. If we were slaves, we would not be here. And our very presence here means that we're saying no to exploitation. We're saying no to consumerism. We could all be working, but instead we've taken a day off and we're remembering that we are a free people when we meet here on Sunday morning, particularly the free Methodists are free. You know, I mean, there are others that are free too, but we're really free. We're we're like extra free. (laughs) Well, Deuteronomy goes on too, and I find this interesting that you know, the, the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill, steal, commit adultery. Well, in Deuteronomy, the wording is very particular. And when it says do not steal, it particularly means do not steal humans. Do not do people stealing. Because to steal a person is the reversal of the exodus. To steal a person is to commit social murder. To steal a person is to destroy community. So Deuteronomy outlaws the stealing of people. A a Greek theologian writes this, Victims of human trafficking today are removed from their normal, secure, and healthy way of life and from their protection networks and their body. Indeed, their life is given in exchange for material benefits. There is too high a price to pay. The victim's life simply should not be equated with any amount of profit. Human life is not measurable in material terms. Opposing human trafficking today is not simply an effort to protect the victims and secure a safe society. It is a declaration and a demonstration of an anthropology that says that humanity cannot have a price tag. People cannot be commodified because they are of immeasurable value. People are not things. They are not things. 
they are human beings with dignity and value. For, for a long time, uh, I, I viewed sin primarily as, as uh, failing to be morally pure. That I shouldn't steal, I shouldn't kill, I shouldn't commit adultery. And it was about my morality. But as I've matured in Christ and as I've understood Scripture more and more, I understand that I did not view sin biblically. And, and I think we have to redefine, we have to go back to defining sin biblically. And we don't have time to do this this morning. But sin is not just about failing to be morally pure. It's about doing anything that is unjust. Because it's all about the breaking of community. When I fail morally, I break community. And when I do injustice to my neighbor, I break community. So it's about being morally pure, but it's also about being socially just. And we have to be socially just. The last point that I'll make biblically is that not only are these things true, but we have incredible power in order to be agents of hope and healing in the world. First Peter says we're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are God's special possession. We have incredible power because God has gifted us, chosen us, called us, and we're going out through those doors at the end of the service to be light and hope and grace in a broken world. And we don't do it on our own terms. We don't do it through our own strength. We do it because the Holy Spirit is guiding us and leading us, and we're on mission with Jesus. And often we will stop ourselves. The enemy doesn't have to stop us. We have incredible power to make a difference in the world. Now, let me give you some examples of this. Back to the Philippines. This is our leader. Her name is Ken. Yes, her name is Ken. And um, I have a brother-in-law named Ken. He looks nothing like this Ken. I don't know why Filipinos sometimes give their women male names, but this is Ken and her husband, Jemwell. And um, Ken is, is working in a variety of ways to make a difference in Manila. But in this instance... The church that they're part of has a special relationship with a slum that's very close. And they do outreach and they do service in this slum area to bring hope and healing to the families that are there. But on this particular day, they invited all these children into the church. And they had a whole day of celebration and party and learning. And part of the learning was, what's good touch, bad touch? You can say no. To somebody who wants to touch you in a wrong way. You can say no to a man who wants to have sex with you. You can say no to a human trafficker. And they were helping to equip and empower these children and to breathe into their children this idea that they are of immeasurable worth and value. They're making a very real difference in the Philippines. The Set Free Movement, this organization that I lead... All these things I've been talking about, we've, we're trying to do. We're, we're seeking holistic freedom that people would be set free physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. We want to not just end modern slavery, but we want to create new futures. We want to provide opportunities and changes and transformation. And we do it in partnership with others through community-based action. 
we, we form community teams because if that's what's broken, we've got to create community teams to bring hope and healing back into their communities. And out of those community teams, projects and programs will come. We've got 25 different teams in the U.S. We've got work in the Philippines, Taiwan, India, Bulgaria, and Hungary. We've got emerging work in Haiti and Burundi, Africa. And here are a few of our, of our leaders. I want to tell you about Hallie. Hallie uh, was 15 years old last year when she went as a freshman into her high school. I just told the story to, the, to, your, to your young people. Doug grabbed me and pulled me in with the young people. I just told them the story. That when Hallie went in as a freshman last year into the Turlock High School, she found a faculty to be an advisor, and she started a set-free club. And for a year, they just started to meet and talk about human trafficking in Turlock. And this year, I'm going to be back with them in October, and um, they've invited me to come and do assembly to about 500 students, like one class at a time. So... 50 minutes, six times with all these different classes. She's only 15. I think she's 16 now. Incredible power that she had in just doing something very simple. I'm going to start a club. We've got a restoration home in Greenville, Illinois. Incredible story that I don't have time to tell you. Another good example is, is what's going on in, uh, in Seattle. This uh, on the upper right, these are our leaders in Seattle. But they did a variety of things. They were, they were serving domestic minor sex trafficking victims. They were serving domestic violence uh, survivors. But they hadn't found it until they learned about uh, the foster care facility on the other side of the hill from, from where the church is. And they learned that children were being taken out of broken homes and were literally sitting next to the caseworker while the caseworker is making phone calls trying to place the child. So they're pulled out of this traumatic situation, and then they're hearing rejection over and over again. And this team and the church said, this isn't right. We've got to do something about this. So they visited, and they, they met with this facility, and they, they found a room that they could remodel. So the, the church and the, the set-free team painted the room and brought in stuffed animals and books and all sorts of things to create a space for these children to come into but not only did they do that, but they created a hotline number staffed with volunteers that when a child is brought into the center, somebody is there to meet them. A church person there to meet the child and to be in that room with them and to read them books and to play with them and, and to help them in any way that they can. Every Valentine's Day, the caseworkers get flowers and chocolates. Christmas, they get Christmas cards and little gifts. And once a month, the church has a dinner and foster care families come and children go for one thing and the parents go for another thing. And they're making a difference and they're creating a transformation in the foster care system in Seattle. These are just a few examples. But one of the things, you know, just, just some closing points is that community and doing justice are not options. They're characteristics of the mission of God. This is who we are. We're a community that is on mission with God, and we're doing justice in the world. And being, mission on God, and being on mission with God is about being, then doing. 
So it's really a discipleship model more than a social action model. That you are formed and changed in your character, and then your actions become a characteristic of who you are. This is how our Set Free teams operate. We ask them to become a community before they start to strategize what they're going to do in their community to address human trafficking. And to follow Jesus is not just to believe or attend church or to be saved, but to be radically transformed and a transforming presence in society. Honestly, we are not content to only end human trafficking. We, that, that is not our ultimate goal. Our ultimate goal is for shalom to come into our broken communities, for God to come in and bring hope and healing in the midst of the brokenness, and for us to be agents of that hope and healing with Jesus, following Jesus, centered on Jesus, worshiping Jesus. Now, like I said, I can go on and on and on and on, but we don't have the time to do that. So you can do a variety of things. When you leave today, pick up one of these brochures, and you can, you can actually, there's, this is perforated. You can fill this out. You can drop it in the basket and join our, our, uh, our email list. We'd love to be in contact with you. We have a prayer guide that, that, that really looks at a variety of different places in the world. Pray for us pray. Um, If you drink coffee, we've got a great coffee program. There's a variety of different things that you can do. Go onto the website. Learn more about what we're doing. Write to us. I'm more than happy to communicate with you and connect with you and answer any questions, help in any way that I can. Uh, If you want to give, you can give in a variety of different ways. I do have things for sale and books and t-shirts. You can uh, just give uh, to the Set Free Movement. We've got a variety of things we're trying to do. And just like any other ministry, we've, we've got to have money to do it. You can text the word set free to this number, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll get the funding. But I'm happy to connect with you at the table in the back. Happy to keep the conversation going. And let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful today for how you have set us free and that we are your people You've called us, you've gifted us, you've chosen us. And Jesus, now as we leave this building, we pray, God, that you would lead us into the dark and broken places and help us, God, to be light in the midst of the darkness. Help us to be a people of hope and healing in the midst of the brokenness. Sustain us, equip us, empower us. We want to be your people. Help us, God, to not only be set free, but also to set other people free in your name. And we will give you the glory and the honor and the praise. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.